Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being, from exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds. I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. There is still much uncertainty and fear when it comes to pregnancy and exercise. So in today's episode, I dive a little deeper into the topic with Laura Kalia, aka Physio Laura. Physio Laura is a physiotherapist specializing in women's health and pelvic floor. She's also the host of the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast and the creator of the Pregnancy Posse online program. Her mission is to help pregnant and postnatal women enjoy the journey of motherhood by keeping them physically active, educated, and empowered. If you're a mum, soon to be a mum, will one day be a mum, partner, brother, sister, uncle, auntie, or friend, then this episode is absolutely for you. Enjoy. Hi, Laura Kalia. Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast. How are you? I'm very well, Mark. Thank you for having me. Laura Kalia, aka Physio Laura. Uh, I think a lot more people know you as Physio Laura. Thank you so much for joining us. We are talking, I guess, pre-pregnancy, prenatal, postnatal, a very big topic. Uh, There's a lot to cover. We've got quite a few questions for you, Laura. And I just want to preface, I guess, right now before we get in that this is a conversation that's obviously quite pertinent to mums and women that are thinking about becoming pregnant or are pregnant, um, but also really important for partners of those women, um, other health professionals, Definitely people in the fitness industry, whether you're a personal trainer, a group exercise instructor, um, but also, you know, for those, you know, pregnancy touches all of us. You might be a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle. And I guess my time in the fitness industry over the past 12 years, I feel like there's not enough information, whether it is for someone like me as a personal trainer and group exercise instructor, but also for a lot of the expecting mums that I've trained in the past, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns and confusion. um, And that's why we really wanted to put this uh, discussion, this episode out onto the airwaves. And I'm so stoked to have you here, Laura. Before we dive in, can you give us a bit of a synopsis on who you are, Laura, and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So I agree with everything you just said. I think it's important to educate the wider community on pregnancy so that I guess all that responsibility of education doesn't just fall on the pregnant woman. It's so good to have everyone around her understand what's going on as well so that she doesn't have to shoulder that responsibility herself. So, yes, 100% agree. But um, I am, like you said, Laura, also known as Physio Laura. So I'm a women's health physiotherapist or a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And I got into this work pretty early on in my career because I've always been fascinated by pregnancy and childbirth. And if I wasn't going to be a physio, I thought I would go into midwifery because I was just super fascinated with this area. I think the changing pregnant body and the ability to give birth and grow a child, and it still blows my mind to this day. So 
I got into this work pretty early on in my career and really haven't looked back. And then I've gone on to have three kids of my own, which has just fueled even more of a passion for helping women during pregnancy and after birth. And that got me working online in the pregnancy posse just so I could reach more people as well because I felt like clinically I was only able to reach obviously those that could travel within that location. But there's the amount of women in my programs who are rural farmers who can't access women's health physiotherapy or people overseas who um, maybe don't have the same um like education that we do in Australia on these topics, they might not be able to access the same level of expertise and skills. And it's really cool to be able to help people in those situations without being limited by location. So that's why I got into the online space running the Pregnancy Posse. And here we are. Beautiful. Well, look, I've got, I definitely want to know more about the Pregnancy Posse. The first question that we like to ask all of our guests right here at the start um, is what gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, first of all, having children. <laughs> so I haven't set an alarm in three and a half years because my kids wake me up. So it's beautiful and also, you know, quite draining at times because you might want to sleep a little bit longer. So definitely my children is what motivates me to get up in the morning and coffee. So for any other mamas out there who drink caffeine, it helps me get through. If I'm awake at 2 a.m. thinking, oh, this is going to be a long night, I just keep thinking, Four hours until I can have a coffee. Four hours until I can have a coffee. So children and coffee is what gets me up in the morning. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, well, look, let's dive in. Um, first question, it might seem pretty obvious, but I think it's a really important one to start with. Um, we've got prenatal, we've got postnatal. And I was also just reading, we also have pre-pregnancy. So there's three terms. Can you tell us a little bit more about them and what what are the differences? Sure. So I guess, yeah, pre-pregnancy or some people will call that preconception, but that's the idea of when we're talking about health and well-being of getting your body in an optimum position to support yourself through a pregnancy. So it's doing that prep work before you fall pregnant when you're thinking about one day maybe um, that is the preparation work. And then pregnancy is obviously that nine-month gestational period of growing a baby. And then postpartum, I don't really think ever ends, to be honest. So I think there's a saying, once postpartum, always postpartum, and I tend to agree with that. Um, But there's obviously different phases throughout the postpartum journey of having like a, a tiny newborn all the way through to years and years after birth where you may still be um, dealing with repercussions of pregnancy and postnatal physical changes that may still be having an effect down the track. And that's why I say it doesn't really stop at six weeks. It doesn't really stop at a year postpartum. You're kind of always postpartum once you've had a child. But I guess my philosophy around what pre and postnatal health and well-being is, is about being able to understand and respect. That's a really big word for me, but respect the growing pregnant body So, because I think once you understand what changes in your body during pregnancy and during childbirth and in the postpartum period, then you can honor and respect your body and also um, like know how to support it best during these changes as well. So I think I like understanding the changes is the first step so that you can then honor and respect um, that because it goes through such an enormous change. And I think a lot of us just don't even understand what happens. It's not as simple as just, oh, we grow a big belly and then a baby comes out 
you know, through our belly or our vagina and then that's it. Like there's just so much more to understand. I think once we understand that, we can respect it more and hopefully less women get injured or have problems. But that's sort of my understanding and philosophy around preconception, pregnancy and postnatal health and well-being. Okay. And you just mentioned before, you know, you are a specialist in pelvic floor and women's health. Can you talk to us a bit more about pelvic floor? And, you know, of course, we all have pelvic floors, regardless of whether you're pregnant, a male or a female. Um, So yeah, can you talk to us, I guess, um, specifically in regards to pre-postnatal, but also just in general as well? Yeah, for sure. So that's a huge part of my work as a physiotherapist is educating people on where your pelvic floor is and how to turn on why it's important. So I guess we'll start at why does it even matter to know what your pelvic floor is? So pelvic floor is responsible for continence. So making sure that you don't leak urine or feces accidentally. So making sure that everything stays in essentially. It's also a really important part of sexual function too. So orgasm intensity, like the ability to enjoy sex and not have pain or problems. And it's also a really, really big part for women of supporting your pelvic organs. So making sure that you're not having issues with prolapse. So the reason it's particularly important in pregnancy is because everything gets softer in the pelvis to allow for our pelvis to get open and ready for childbirth. Now combine that softness with added weight of pregnancy is a lot more load on your pelvic floor. So we need to make sure that we support the pelvic floor, we keep the pelvic floor strong and supple during pregnancy and that we recover it well after birth because during a vaginal delivery, your pelvic floor muscles will stretch up to two and a half times their regular length, which is amazing, but is also a lot. So we need to make sure that we really honour and respect what's happened there and look after it well after birth because no other muscle in the body is even capable of doing that. So Picture your hamstring stretching two and a half times its current length. Like it will break. There's no way it's even capable of doing that. Whereas the pelvic floor is designed to be able to stretch that far. But then obviously we need to make sure that we look after it afterwards. So in terms of where your pelvic floor is, picture, and this is for men and for women, picture your pubic bone at the front. So that hard bit at the front and then all the way back to your tailbone at the back. And imagine that like a hammock from pubic bone at the front to tailbone at the back. And that's where your pelvic floor sits. So when you're sitting down, so if if you're listening to this right now and you're sitting down, that part you're sitting on, that's your pelvic floor area. So the pelvic floor for women loops around the urethra, which is where we empty our bladder from, around the vagina, and then around the anus at the back. So it's kind of like three little slings that it loops around. And so when you tighten your pelvic floor, it contracts around those passageways and that's what keeps us continent. And then you relax your pelvic floor and that's really important for things like sex and childbirth to be able to relax around the vaginal passageway. So I think it's always good to walk people through like a little like a little practical one. So I'll just do that really quickly. And for men, what you want to imagine, for women I tell them to try and imagine you're squeezing gently around the vagina so for men, there's a, it's a bit of a bogan comment, I guess, but it's sucking nuts to your guts. <laughs> so imagine pulling up through your scrotum towards your belly, or you can just imagine that you're trying to lift the penis. So that's how you think about it as a male versus a female. But I'll talk to the women on this podcast, but Mark, you can practice nuts to your guts when we do this one. <laughs> <laughs> and now the important thing is that when you're doing a pelvic floor contraction, you're 
it should be a secret. So no one should be able to tell what you're doing. You shouldn't be grimacing your face. You shouldn't be sucking your belly in or tightening your butt cheeks. I should be able to, so when we do this, Mark, I shouldn't be able to see you doing anything. It should look like you're just normal like you are right now. So that's really important. You keep breathing as you normally would. So you do your version for the males and I'll talk to the females. Gently imagine squeezing around the vagina. Now hold that in, lift it up like an elevator to level one, lift it up to level two. Now hold that there for one, keep breathing, two, three, and then release all the way back down again. And so you'll probably notice another part of your body was trying to work then as well. So you'll often notice that your belly tried to squeeze or your bottom tried to squeeze. So see if you can isolate it just to the pelvic floor. So think pubic bone, hammock back to the tailbone, lifting it up, squeeze, lift it up to level one, lift it up to level two, hold it there for one, two, three, and now drop it all the way back down. So that's in essence, a really quick nutshell of what the pelvic floor is. 10 points to you, Mark, because I couldn't tell that you were doing anything weird, so you weren't doing any of the wrong things. Um, just a note on the pelvic floor while I'm here. I could talk about this all day, as you can tell, but it's just as important to relax your pelvic floor as it is to contract. So for those who think better, more, stronger, faster, that's great, but you need to make sure that you're also letting it go because an overactive or a tense or a tight pelvic floor can cause just as many problems as a weak pelvic floor. So I'll probably leave it as that. Otherwise, I could talk all day. But in a nutshell, that is the pelvic floor. Laura, thank you so much. Straight into some practical tools and practices we've got right now. I'm so glad you couldn't see the expression of my... I think I was more focused on keeping my face still than when I was at lifting. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for that. I hope you guys at home, you know, got something from that, potentially felt something um, or rewind and, and give it another go. It's always practice. But I love what you also said around it's equally important to be able to learn to relax. And I think that's potentially something that especially, you know, coming from teaching, especially Pilates classes, I'm also a Pilates teacher, teaching a lot of Pilates classes, we are often only teaching about the lifting and the strengthening and the holding and not necessarily also putting a, enough emphasis on the relaxation. Um, and I guess, you know, what you just said then about the pelvic floor, you know, stretching up to two and a half times its length during birth. I mean, that's a really good, you know, a really good note to make when it comes to being able to relax as well. Just one quick question I had around, um, we might get into it later, but I just while I was thinking about it, the softening that's happening, does that start at conception or does it come a little later? Pretty much, yes. So <clears throat> as soon as you fall pregnant, your estrogen starts to rise. We do get different peaks throughout pregnancy where hormones such as relaxin will peak. So around that sort of end of first trimester mark is often when relaxin hormone peaks. Um, but yes, essentially... From conception onwards, we need to start being mindful of certain things because the body is already changing. So whilst we're not physically seeing the growing tummy or, you know, that pregnancy waddle or whatnot, hormonally things are starting to change as soon as that little egg is fertilized. So like I said, there'll be different peaks throughout the pregnancy of when those hormones will reach um, their max. But from conception, it's really important to start thinking about how we might modify our lifestyle, our activities, our exercise to suit the growing pregnant body. 
Okay, cool. All right. Well, we definitely will dive into a little bit more exercise-focused stuff in a moment. But before we get there, could you talk to us a little bit more about Pregnancy Posse and what you do there? I know you've got seven different types of mums. Yeah, can you talk to us a bit about what you do there? Yeah, for sure. So the Pregnancy Posse, like I said before, was my way of being able to spread my knowledge and help more women, not just based on where I was located. I wanted to be able to spread that reach far and wide because I realized that so many women still don't know this information about the pelvic floor, about how to exercise safely. Um, Like we said at the start, there's still so much unknown when it comes to pregnancy. There's still a lot of fear around it. And I wanted to be able to essentially help women avoid Googling their symptoms and their questions because you go down a rabbit hole, you get yourself very confused. I wanted them to be able to land in a safe and comfortable place where they could ask all those questions and feel comfortable with the professional advice they were getting. So it's a program with weekly tailored pregnancy workouts so that women don't have to second guess what they can and can't do. I hold Q&As in there so I can answer their questions. There's a beautiful community forum and we have a resources library on pretty much everything you need to know about pregnancy. But what I identified when I was creating the posse was you mentioned those seven different types of mums. I identified that there's like a whole spectrum of women wanting this information. So I'll walk you through just really quickly the mums I identified. So you've got your first time mama who knows nothing, feels completely out of her depth, feels like everything is overwhelming and new, and like I said, is probably Googling everything. So we've got those mums who just want all the information but don't know where to get it from. And then we've got the, I hope it's not like last time mama. So those women who maybe had a negative experience the first time or the second time and now they're pregnant again and they want to make sure that they change things. So maybe it was their birth experience they'd like to improve on. Maybe it was their pregnancy symptoms. Maybe they had pelvic pain. Whatever it is, they've identified that they don't want that same experience. They want something better, something more positive. Then we've got the fit mama which sounds great, but can actually bring about its own anxieties and problems because you want to stay fit, you want to stay active, you want to stay exercising, but all of a sudden you don't know, is it safe? Is it appropriate? Am I allowed to do that? You know, where do I go? And the worst case scenario for the fit mama is that they stop exercising because they're too concerned. So we want to make sure that we can nurture those fit mamas and keep them fit during pregnancy with the right information. Then we've got like the busy working mama, which really is probably a lot of women these days who just don't have the time to commit to, you know, like doing something that's big and hard and we want them to just be able to have like the bite-sized information, continue working out, but it doesn't necessarily have to look like it's time-consuming because they're busy, they might have other kids, they're working. We've got the leaky mama, so this is the incontinent women. We know that incontinence affects one in three women, which is enormous. It's just not spoken about very often. So it's often a bit of a taboo topic that people are still carry a bit of shame around it. And I'm definitely here to help those women because it's so common. It's not normal, but it is super common. We've got the ouch mama. So those, again, super common, about 30% of women will experience pelvic pain. So we've got those mums who feel sore majority of their pregnancy. And a lot of them accept that that's a normal part of pregnancy. Again, it is common, but it's not normal. So there's so many things we can do to help women who have pain. And then the last mama is the empowered birth mama. So those who really want to 
understand birth, understand physiological birth and equip themselves with as many tools and preparation as possible so that they can walk into birth feeling confident and empowered. Cool. So that I, th- I think that covers all the mamas out there, right? Um, <laughs> totally. is, is that a challenge, working with so many different kinds of mums? Yeah, no, not really. I think this the underlying theme is that everyone wants to support their body best and have the best experience possible. So I guess regardless of what that might look like, whether we're dealing with pelvic floor, pelvic pain, birth, whatever it is, the underlying theme, I guess, is the same. So and I love working any mum on any part of that spectrum. Um, so, no, I don't find it challenging. I, I find it really, really great. Cool. Well, look, um, let's dive into some exercise stuff. Um, staying active, obviously, before becoming pregnant, during pregnancy, after pregnancy. Can you talk to us a bit about you know, how important it is, uh, what sort of part it plays potentially even in becoming pregnant and I guess the the overall experience of being pregnant? For sure. Like I think we all know, I think everyone can agree, we know exercise is good for us and we know that we feel better when we exercise. And so the same applies for pregnancy. Exercise is good for us. We know we feel better with exercise. But specifically during pregnancy, we know, and we've got statistics and evidence on this, that we know that exercise will reduce your chances of getting aches and pains and, you know, those classic pregnancy symptoms. So we know that's a fact. We also know it will reduce your chances of incontinence, so staying fit, healthy, well, strong, not just in your pelvic floor but in your whole body system will mean you're less likely to leak, which is fantastic. We know that being physically strong and well and exercising regularly is also associated with better labour and birth outcomes. So that's also a real pro. And we know that it is related to better postnatal recovery so essentially it ticks all boxes um keeping active keeping strong staying well during pregnancy super super important to support the growing pregnant body and to support that recovery after birth as well and then it obviously plays into things like um, gestational diabetes and blood pressure and just overall health from a more medical point of view super important to stay uh, fit strong healthy well and is, are there any correlations with the mother exercising and therefore the health of the baby? Yeah, and I know, and this is more for that fit mama, this is the concern often is, well, if I lift weights or if I stay running or if I do high intensity impact, is that going to hurt my baby? So if you are exercising, and I might touch on the parameters now, but if you are exercising within pregnancy safe guidelines and you're listening to your body, negative outcomes are rare. They're few and far between. So if you've got medical conditions, that's completely separate and that's something you have to talk to your doctor about. But we know that the positive outcomes of exercise absolutely trump any potential negative outcomes, which are really quite rare. So the pregnancy safe guidelines that I talk about are the huff and puff test and temperature guidelines. So the huff and puff test is when you're exercising, you should be able to talk but not sing. So that's a really easy way to monitor your intensity. So if you are exercising and you are so puffed out that you can't hold a conversation, then you're working probably a little bit too hard. You need to pull that back. However, if you're working out and you could sing, well, girlfriend, you could probably work a little bit harder. So (laughs) that's a really easy way to sort of monitor where your intensity is at. We did used to measure... um, 
heart rate. But then we found that it probably wasn't as um, easy to monitor because everyone's heart rate can fluctuate so much. So the huff and puff test tends to be a really good one to go to. And from a temperature point of view, we want to make sure that we're allowed to get warm. So that's fine. You're allowed to work your sweat a little bit, but you don't want to be sweating profusely. So you shouldn't be dripping with sweat. You should be warm, a little bit pink, a little bit of sweat. That's fine, but you shouldn't be dripping in it. And if you are, then you're probably working either a little bit too hard or in too hot of a surrounding. So maybe if it's in summer, you need to work out in the morning um, or whatnot. So they're kind of the two main guidelines I go by just so that you know you are working within that safe pregnancy parameter. And then the absolute main thing, like our bodies are so wise. So if you listen to what your body is telling you, you will always know when you are pushing beyond your limits. So everyone's going to have a different threshold for exercise and every day you will differ differ in pregnancy as well. So it's about really tuning into your body, which for some women, the first time they do that is in pregnancy. So maybe they've ignored their body a little bit in the past. And I know with menstrual cycles, like um, sometimes women can just push through when they really probably should pull back sometimes. But pregnancy is the time to listen. It's not the time to ignore. So your body, I do trust, will always tell you if something is off. So it's really important no matter, even if you're still working within those guidelines, I tell you, you still need to listen to what your body is telling you. And it will always tell you if something's a little bit off. Mm. And I love that you bring up that point about that level of self-awareness. And, you know, I've had that experience also training, um, you know, expectant mums as well. And that has been, you know, quite an enlightening moment. It's kind of, they did really become quite in touch with who they are at a much deeper level and not just in regards to exercise, but just, you know, being, being a, a, a pregnant woman as well. Um, but I think that's, you know, that I, uh, I guess that is often one that we do hear when, you know, you've let your instructor know uh, that you've become pregnant and, you know, that's often uh, uh, something that a, um, a woman, um, um, a pregnant mom might get back is that, you know, just listen to your body. It will always, you know, it will always tell you. And if you're getting those signals, then, you know, it's okay to pull things back. Do you think there's a challenge there, I guess, you know, if we're thinking about the fit mum, you know, has always been fit, wants to, you know, maintain that, wants to keep going with that. Um, At what point do you think things need to change? Or at what point do you think those fit mums need to kind of stop, step back, maybe have a conversation with someone like yourself? Is there a certain time that they should be doing that? Look, it's hard to say like a definitive black and white, yes, at this point, you should stop doing X, Y, and Z. So like I have general guidelines that I will use with women. So we know uh, when you're pregnant, things that are high risk, so contact sports, for example, they are something that you really should stop straight away because the risk of hurting yourself far outweighs any benefit that you're going to get from that exercise. So I always, when it comes to exercise, I always toss up what is the benefit, what is the risk, and you want to always make sure that you're tipping the scales in the right direction more benefit, less risk. So for example, first trimester for most women, assuming it's not a high risk contact activity, um, most women can continue with the same exercises they they were doing pre-pregnancy, generally speaking, um, depending on how your body is feeling. So that's also the time of morning sickness and fatigue and lethargy. So unlikely that you're going to do the exact same prescription you were doing beforehand. But 
after the first trimester that I become probably a little bit stricter with what I recommend purely because by that stage the uterus is outside of the pubic bone in terms of where it's grown so um, the tummy starts to get a bit larger your anatomy does start to change a lot more then so that's when you're uh, your six-pack muscles, so your rectus abdominis will start to lengthen and things like that. So there's certain exercises that, sure, if you wanted to continue within first trimester, that's your prerogative. But come second trimester, when your anatomy is changing, that's when I don't tend to recommend, say, high-load abdominal exercises. So, for example, like your sit-ups, your V-ups, your Russian twists, things like that, because you're working a muscle that now is lengthening and changing. So you're not, again, that benefit-risk thing. So it's like, when the benefit is less because your muscle, say that rectus abdominis, is not working how it used to because there's a different length to it. So, and the risk is that you're overloading the pelvic floor and the linear elbow, which is that midline, which could potentially contribute to increased abdominal separation, things like that. So, start to do a little bit of, I know people can't see me, but those tails, scales, sorry, start to tip a little bit. And you go, well, what am I trying to get out of that exercise? And you think, okay, I want a strong core. That's cool. Could we do that in a different way where we don't overload the abs so much in the pelvic floor? Could we do chariot pulls instead, which is a much more functional and better way to use our deep core muscles rather than just pounding our six-pack muscles, which are not working the same because we're pregnant? So could we do chariot pulls? Could we, instead of doing forward planks, could we do side planks instead? Um, could we be doing pelvic tilts instead of doing our V-ups and our sit-ups and things like that? So there's some really easy swaps to be made once we kind of hit that first trimester mark. Um, and things like um, intensity I spoke about before, so the huff and puff, you always have to work in within those guidelines. Weightlifting is one I often get asked about a lot, so like can you continue with the same weights? Now, my guidance on weightlifting is it's fantastic during pregnancy. It's so important to stay strong. My general advice is if you need to hold your breath to push, pull, lift that weight, then it's too much. So if you're needing to do a quick little to push, pull, lift, then that's really going to be pushing down, bearing down on the pelvic floor, which is already vulnerable during pregnancy. It's not worth the potential benefit of lifting that weight um, starts to become lower and the risk of overloading the pelvic floor becomes higher. However, if you can push, pull, lift that weight without holding your breath and you can breathe normally throughout that rep, then that's great. That's fantastic. And again, as long as your body feels good, you don't have pelvic pain, you're not feeling uncomfortable, like you feel strong and confident in still doing that movement, then generally speaking, you can keep going with the weightlifting. So I know that's a big one for women is when, when can when can I continue with that? When should I stop? And there's a million other variations of can I do this one or that one or this one? But I think without having to go into all the, um, you know, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no to each individual exercise, that's probably a good just general guideline for women exercising in pregnancy. Absolutely. Otherwise, we could be here for days. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the, those women that have... Um, you know, just found out they've become pregnant and now would like to start doing some form of form of physical activity. What would you what would be the guidelines for those women? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, yes, you can exercise. I think there maybe used to be a little bit of a myth that if you weren't active pre-pregnancy, then you shouldn't start a new exercise program, which is incorrect. So you can definitely start exercising. But again, like with anything. You wouldn't go from not having exercise to 
running, you know, a half marathon or to lifting really heavy weights. So slow and steady building yourself up. But some really nice, gentle, um, low impact exercises to like sort of enter into the exercise world if you're not someone who has done it previously is things like walking, stationary cycling, pregnancy-based Pilates or yoga, swimming or some sort of like pregnancy aqua class. They're really, really good entry points for someone who hasn't exercised before. So if you didn't exercise, I would not recommend that you then go and be a pregnant crossfitter or something like that. You know, that that's a big chasm to bridge. That's a big jump to make. But the ones I just listed are really good places to start and continue with throughout that entire pregnancy journey. And in your experience, are there many absolute no's when it comes to exercising while pregnant? Like I said before, it's mostly the high risk um, contact sport one. So if there's a risk of you like um, falling on your belly or being hit on your belly, like the the ones that most women would go, oh yeah, I wouldn't even think about doing that during pregnancy. Um, you've got your, that's sort of your red lights. You've got your amber lights for things like, um, you know, the core exercises I mentioned before, high impact, jumping, running, things like that. That's probably a conversation for another day because they're amber for a reason because some women say will run their entire pregnancy and they'll be fine. And they'll say, it's fine, there's no problems. And other women will run their entire pregnancy and they'll have problems. So again, this is where I think it's about listening to your body, seeing how does it respond to the exercise I'm doing right now. But as a complete red light, it's really just the high risk activities and contact sports. Okay. And we did just touch on it very briefly in regards to, you know, speaking to your coach. It could be your personal trainer. Um, it could be your group exercise instructor. What should, um, what should women be telling their coach once they've become pregnant? Yeah, so first of all, telling them is really important um, because they need to be able to be aware of modifying things um, for your body and you need to feel comfortable enough to tell them if something's not feeling right because it's not the time to push through symptoms because you think, oh, you know, I'll be right. So any changes to your body, so any pain you might be experiencing, any bleeding, any change in baby's movements, any shortness of breath, any just feeling off type symptoms where you just think, oh, something doesn't feel right there. It's so important to report back. No symptom is um, like silly. No symptom is not important because it's all a message your body is trying to to tell you. So um, it's really important that you don't ever push beyond those messages your body is trying to communicate with you. Mm. And you kind of touched on it just then as well in regards to prenatal yoga, postnatal Pilates, aqua. I guess they are fairly typical exercise programs to do while pregnant. It's kind of, you know, we don't often see pre and postnatal cycle, for example, but we often see pre and postnatal yoga. Um, is there anything in particular with these, especially yoga and Pilates and even, you know, in the pool aqua kind of classes, is there anything in particular specifically to these programs that women should know? Um, you know, maybe it's, again, maybe it's as simple as first trimester, you're probably fine. But then to start, you know, I guess, be aware of more things come second and third trimester. Yeah, I actually should have mentioned before, because this does apply to Pilates and yoga, is we also don't recommend 
doing exercises flat on your back after the first trimester. So that's probably a good thing to note as well. So um, because of the growing weight of the uterus, it can compress one of your main um, artery or main veins, which circulates blood back to the uterus. So it's important that we get out of that position after the first trimester, if possible. So that's something to note with those ones. And the only other thing to probably note is, and I think we're going to speak about this anyway, so I might as well address it now, is heat and temperature. So, for example, when you're doing an aqua class, you would hope to assume that if you're doing a pregnancy-specific aqua class that the temperature of the water has already been checked and whatnot. But um, the guidelines suggest that it is safe to exercise for about 45 minutes in water up to 33 degrees. So you can definitely exercise in a typical hydro pool, but you just want to make sure that the water is around that 33 degree mark because you don't want to be exercising in really hot water, particularly because you're going to elevate your core temperature anyway, and that combined with a hot environment, um, we just want to be really mindful of that. Um, now, I, in terms of, because I know you're going to ask me this anyway, in terms of hot yoga, for example, I've got a long answer and I've got a short answer, <laughs> but in short, my general recommendation is no. The long answer to that is, and I, I couldn't find any studies before our chat today specifically addressing hot yoga, but the study I got my hands on was recommending that it was safe for women to do 35 minutes of high intensity exercise, which is about 90% of your max heart rate in air temperatures up to 25 degrees and about 45% humidity, which I don't know if anyone's checking anyway. That was safe. So that's 25 degrees. And I think you were saying that hot yoga was about 32 degrees. Was that right, Mark? Yeah, we our heated yoga classes are at about 28 to 32 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there's that. So if you say, cool, it's safe to say 35 minutes in 25 degrees of high intensity. So let's say, well, we're going to be doing low intensity in yoga but in a higher temperature room. So potentially, you know what, it could be fine. The only thing is we have to say, can we safely measure our core temperature? Because at around 38, 39 degrees is when it becomes a potential problem in terms of causing harm to the baby. So can we accurately measure our core temperature? Probably not because um, it's quite hard to actually measure your core temperature, not just your skin surface temperature. So this is, again, where I go, you know what? Some women may feel comfortable, may be fine in a hot yoga room, but where is that tipping point of could we just do yoga in a normal room and still get great benefits but with less risk? That's where I kind of start to think. I think I don't think the benefits of hot yoga outweigh the potential risk. So that's my short answer is probably not and long answer is all those reasons why. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, cool. And are there any exercises that are going to help in regards to giving birth? So I have two examples for this and they're not so much physical exercises, they're more mental exercises. So keeping yourself fit, healthy, strong, super important for birth, but I wouldn't say there's like, you know, if you do 10 squats a day, that's going to help you have a better labor and birth. But what I do like to get women to try and do is the one-minute squat practice and the cold shower practice. So they're my two exercises. Now, what that is, we know a labor contraction will roughly go for 60 seconds or a minute. And we know that that's an uncomfortable sensation and that we need to utilize our toolkit during labor to help us manage that sensation. So whether that be breathing, affirmations, massage, distraction, whatever it is that you're going to use in labor. 
So for those listening now, you might want to try it. Dropping into, I won't make you do this one, Mark. (laughs) Dropping into a squat. So just holding a squat as deep as you feel comfortable for one minute. Now, you'll notice in that minute, unless you're the fittest person on the planet, you'll notice that your quads will start to burn. You're going to start to feel uncomfortable. Now, if you just sit there and do nothing, it's probably going to be a really long minute. However, if you drop into that squat and maybe you rub your thighs or maybe you focus on the inhale and the exhale or maybe, yeah, you massage yourself while you do it or you squeeze stress balls or you tell yourself affirmations like, this is only as hard as I I think it is, or the 60 seconds is almost over, or I can do hard things, whatever it is, you'll find that that minute will probably go a hell of a lot faster because you're utilizing those tools. So I just think it's a really good way to A, build up leg strength and pelvic strength, which is always going to be helpful, but more to get you in the mental practice of having a toolkit to work through discomfort. And the same applies for the cold shower, a 20 or 30 second cold shower. Your initial reaction will probably be, I don't like this. My body is tense. I just want it to end, which is kind of like a labor contraction. And it's about then being able to rewire how your body responds to that discomfort and what tools help you through that discomfort, because that again is going to be the closest thing I think that you can then translate into a labor contraction. So my top tips for birth prep are less about the exact type of exercise to do and more about the mental aspect of it. So the one minute squat or the 20 second cold shower. Beautiful. I love the 20 second cold shower. I think that's great for everyone, actually, regardless of where you're at. It's such a very empowering, enlivening tool. Um, and I, you do it? I do it at least twice a week. Oh, good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fantastic tool, and I'm so glad that it's it's part of this as well. Um, what about what can partners do to help support a woman preparing to give birth? So I think the most important thing is that you try and have the same level of education that they have, so that there's not these big gaps or bridges between what your pregnant partner knows and what you know because I think it's really important to be on the same page with what you understand and I probably made this mistake being a physio I just assumed my husband kind of knew what I knew Um, and there was a big difference between the prep we did for baby number one versus baby number three and I can tell you it made a big difference we were on the same page for baby number three whereas baby number one there was such a big gap in our knowledge and I think it's really important that partners also understand so that means doing birth classes together I actually have a birth class it is activebirthclass.com and it's a free class if anyone wants it and my husband I wrote him into that video so you'll see me massaging his back and he's pretending to be a pregnant woman but it's a really good class to do with your partner so that you can learn the skills together so that you're both on the same page because when a woman is laboring You shouldn't have to get out of your primal brain to go into your cortical brain to say, hey, Mark, can you help me by doing either A, B or C? You should be able to stay in your primal brain and Mark just knows to try A, B or C without you having to kind of lead that way, if that makes sense. So um, I think it's really important to do birth education together. Also because it's important for partners to know about things like the crisis of confidence, which is a term Rhea Dempsey talks about, but it's essentially when often majority of women will get to a point where they say, I can't do this anymore. And you being the partner, you just want to help your partner through that. And often 
you are going to give more sympathy than anyone else in the room because you don't want to see them hurting. But if you can understand what physiological birth is so that you know it's not a scary or a bad thing, and if you can understand crisis of confidence, so the points where your partner will go, I can't do this anymore, rather than going, oh, okay, honey, well, you can't do it. Well, I'm going to save you from this. Empowering your partner to say, you know what, you are doing it and you can do it. And you've got to have that resolve and that confidence in yourself to be able to support them. And I know I told my husband a million times, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he just, and obviously they get to a point where, you know, they, they may need help and they may need you to, you know, change it up for them. But for the most part, women will get to that natural point and it's not that they need saving. They just need someone to say, no, you've got this. And then they get over that hump and then they're, they're good after that. So I think it's really important to just be aware that that's something that could happen. And then obviously the practical things, like it's good to know how to do acupressure and how to do massage. And I've taught a lot of birth classes and the amount of partners who are absolutely rubbish at massaging and they will go to massage their partners and you can just see the women kind of squirming. They're like, oh, that, you know, like it just doesn't feel good. So you don't want to be doing that in labor. So it's good to actually learn how to massage properly, how to make it enjoyable and, you know, relieving for your partner. So you do need to practice some of those things beforehand. And do you think this is changing? Do you think that level of knowledge and support is there? It's it's happening? For sure. So it's actually only very recently that partners have even been allowed in the birth space. So Mm. it's a very, so if you think like a generation or two generations before, Partners weren't even allowed in the birthing room, which seems crazy these days, but women were birthing alone. And so partners were just completely separated from this, whereas now, obviously, partners, they're the main support person for the majority of women. So I definitely think it is changing. Um, But I still think we probably have a little bit of, you know, a, a ways to go with some with some partners, but I do think, I guess I'm biased. The majority of people I see are people coming to the birth classes. So they're obviously already invested in knowing that, but um, I definitely think we're, we're leaps ahead of where we were 50 years ago. That's for sure. Right. Well, that's, that's the message out there. And that's, I guess that's a big part of the message that I would like to put out there on this episode. You know, it's, it's uh, an equal responsibility for all of us. You know, it's not, and as you said at the start, we shouldn't just be lumping the responsibility on the mum alone. Now you've touched a bit on pain already. Um, what are the typical or the common um, types of pain uh, and and are they normal um, and, and what could be done? So I would say the most common pain I would see clinically is pelvic pain, so whether that's pain at the front in the pubic area or pain at the back in what we call the SIJ joints. Low back pain, which is slightly different because it's a little bit higher as opposed to being down in like the butt cheeks, it's sort of up a little bit higher. Rib pain, really, really common as well, or what women will refer to as sciatic pain, which I do find is often actually SIJ or pelvic pain, but it will refer down the back of the leg. So they're probably the most common pains that we'll see as physiotherapists. Now, is pain normal? I would still say pain is not normal. It is ridiculously common, but it is never normal. So sure, you're going to get aches and discomforts during pregnancy, but True pain, particularly pain that limits your movements or your activities, your ability to do life, it's not normal. So 
There's so many things that you can do about it. And I think my message for this is that a lot of women will put up with pain because they think, oh, well, that's just part of pregnancy. And that will either result in them being bed bound or, you know, walking awkwardly or, you know, just not being able to do their day-to-day life. And so often that can be, if not fixed completely, but definitely improved upon. So if you have pain, definitely go and see your women's health physio because there's so much you can do to support yourself. Like I said, it may not mean you're pain-free, but it certainly may mean that you can do a little bit more. And there's a bit of a misconception that if you've got pain, you can't exercise at all. And that's also not true. So um, there, I always just try and find what's the, the absolute bare minimum that we can still do to keep you strong and functional within your pain. So there's often still at least two or three different movements you can get a woman doing, even if they've got pelvic pain, because we know that if you then become deconditioned because you're not exercising because you've got pain, it only makes the pain worse because then you're weak and dysfunctional. So it's really important if we can try to find a pain-free exercise program for someone to continue with. And are there certain things to help avoid, especially pelvic pain? Is there certain things that women could be doing before? Yeah, look, it's not black and white, but generally speaking, pelvic pain is often aggravated by single leg or asymmetrical movement. So classic aggravators are things like lunges or stair climbs um, or wide leg, you know, like a warrior pose. Is it warrior? You would know better. Mm-hmm. You know that big wide yep. stairs on? Yeah. Um, classically, they tend to aggravate pelvic pain. Again, not for everyone, but typically they tend to aggravate pelvic pain or any sort of single leg activity like a dipping bird or an arabesque or something like that. So I would generally recommend if you've got pelvic pain and those activities aggravate you, stick to double leg symmetrical exercises. What about cycling? Would you say that that's because it's kind of you're pressing one leg at a time, but they are working symmetrically, I guess? Interestingly, I, I'm such a fan of cycling. I think during pregnancy, it's such a fabulous exercise. Interestingly, I find, this is just clinically, but probably 80% of women with pelvic pain are absolutely fine cycling. Mm, absolutely okay. fine. So we actually used to run a spin class for pregnant women. And some of these women would come in with big pelvic belts, waddling along, could barely walk, but then they get on a bike and they could do half an hour and they looked like a completely different person. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the stationary bike if it works for you during pregnancy. Okay, cool. And here I was just saying we don't see pre- and postnatal cycle classes, <laughs> but potentially it's it's a good exercise. Yeah, really, you should definitely start them. Apart from like uh, the intensity just needs to be dialed down because often it's a real huff and puff class. But um, they're really good during pregnancy because they're low impact on the pelvic floor. So, you know, you're sitting on that chair. You're not bouncing up and down. Um, Like I said, they're pretty good for women with pelvic pain as well. Um, And it's a nice little endorphin hit for women who who maybe don't get enough out of just like a gentle, slow flow yoga or Pilates class. So as long as they're working within the parameters, it's a really good, really good one. Now, this might be a fairly big question, but it is a question we typically ask all of our guests and it's in regards to mental health. Um, what, what sort of effects do you see um, that pregnancy can have on our mental health? Yeah, such a broad spectrum. So on one end of that spectrum is women have never felt better, more aligned, more in tune with themselves, you know, never as confident, like they're so confident in pregnancy all the way to the other end of the spectrum where 
women are really floored by the changes in their body. They're finding it hard to accept those changes. Um, hormones are playing a big effect as well. So we've got a lot of antenatal depression and anxiety that's really common as well for women because there's so much happening. So it's such a broad spectrum of change. But I, I guess it's just really important for women to know that antenatal depression and anxiety it does exist. It's not just for postpartum women. It is for women during pregnancy as well. And that it is really important to go and seek help and talk to someone if you feel like you're on that spectrum. The pregnancy is not all rainbows and butterflies for everyone. There's so much that's going on. And so it really can affect someone's uh, mental health in a negative way, unfortunately. But you're not alone if that is something that you're going through. Yeah. And best to definitely seek some help. For sure. Yeah. I read one of your posts in regards to breastfeeding and that lactation can use up to 30% of your energy. So surely that plays a part on, I guess, your readiness to exercise when you're breastfeeding? Yeah, so the lactation system is so energy-consuming because the priority of the body is to feed your offspring. So it actually takes up more energy than your brain function, which I think is so fascinating. And that's also why women have a lot of what we call mum brain because literally your brain is not working, um, you know, as hard, I guess, as your lactation system. But, yeah, that can definitely affect your energy levels and your ability to return to exercise. But, again, this is where I think everyone just needs to acknowledge where they're at and tune into their body and you'll know – you'll know what's best for, for you. Some women will feel really keen to get back into exercise and feel really ready to get back into exercise and other other women won't. But I think the most important thing is to, to tune in with you. I know a lot of women have concerns about high-intensity exercise and whether that will affect their milk supply. Um, best talk to a lactation consultant if you're if you're planning on getting back into some really high-intensity exercise. But my understanding of that is that because the lactation system is so robust, it takes an enormous amount of energy output to start to affect in terms of exercise, to start to affect the lactation system. So um, it's not something that you go for one run and your milk supply drops and then it's a problem. So it's it's much more robust than that. But talk to a lactation consultant if you are concerned about that for sure. Okay. I want to touch on it again. You've mentioned it a couple of times, incontinence. And of course, it probably isn't spoken about as freely or as openly as it should. Um, But can you talk to us now just a little bit more about incontinence? Um, It sounds like it's not normal. It's common, but not normal, similarly to what you said with pain. Um, But what else should women know in regards to incontinence? Definitely. Like you said, common, but not normal. So we know one in three women who have ever had a baby will experience incontinence. And it is so important to know you're not alone and that, you know, once you open that dialogue, you'll probably hear so many of your friends and family have also experienced it. But I think the most important thing to acknowledge is it's not normal. So do not accept that as just a normal part and parcel of pregnancy or after birth. Go and see a physio because it may be your pelvic floor. It may be something going on with your bladder. It may be something to do with your fluid intake. It may be the sort of exercise you're doing. Like there's so many, it could even be involved with your bowels. Like there's so many factors that can play into incontinence. And it's not as simple as just, well, I just need a stronger pelvic floor either. I think a lot of women, um, you know, really minimize it to, well, if I'm leaking, it means my pelvic floor isn't strong. And so they will just then go smash their Kegel exercises and wonder why they're not getting better. And it's not as simple as just getting a stronger pelvic floor. So I definitely think going and seeing a physio is the first step to make sure that 
you know, you're ticking all the boxes and you've checked out everything else and it might be that your pelvic floor is actually too tight or too tense and you need to relax it. So what we were saying earlier in the piece, it's not all about stronger, longer pelvic floor holds. It might actually be that you need to let it go. But my main advice around incontinence is, yeah, common but not normal, definitely go and see a physio. Um, And for you personally, you are a mum of three. What have been the greatest challenges for you? Patience. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, patience is probably one of the biggest ones. And I I think anyone who's had kids will also know this. I just think the biggest challenge but also the biggest reward is the self-reflection you need to do as a parent because your tiny, amazing beautiful little humans are like the biggest mirror in front of you to just shine all of your flaws and all of your imperfections and all of your wounds that you need to work on and there's no hiding you just need to go yeah you know what I need to work on that and so yeah probably just their ability to reflect back to you what you need to work on Um, like I said biggest challenge also you know the biggest beauty in it but yeah that would be my answer okay and how do you how do you stay balanced across your business, your work, uh, your own well being, looking after your kids, being a partner? How does how does that um, pan out for you? I certainly think it is. I try to use the word blend rather than juggle these days because I think it sounds easier to blend things, whereas juggling just sounds hard. I don't know many people that can juggle more than two things at a time. So juggle sounds like you're setting yourself up to fail. Look, it's certainly a blend. I think things like I have a very, very supportive and helpful husband, which is always a big, big uh, factor in why I can do all the things I want to do. I, I think getting really clear on my priorities as well. So I, every day I write a list of the top three things I want to achieve that day. And that might be something from big things like podcast interviews or, <clears throat> you know, designing new products for my business to as simple as, cooking something or hanging the washing on the line. But I just always make it really clear that these are the three things I want to achieve today. I don't waste time like I used to probably as well. So like I don't have a TV anymore. I I really try to be mindful of like mindless social media scrolling because I think you can waste a lot of time doing things like that and therefore you have less time to actually do the things you want to do. Um, little hacks like batch cooking. So I only cook three times a week because I think it's such a waste of time to cook and clean every single night. So I cook big pots of things and we just eat leftovers. Um, I get online deliveries in terms of like organic fruit and veg and whatnot, because again, I think it's a waste of time to go to the supermarket. So when you become a mum, you'll understand that because you're like, I don't have time to put three kids in the car, get them out at the supermarket, have to tell them a million times that no, we're not going to buy their chocolates. We're just in here to get these things. So, you know, little things like that make a, a big, big difference. And I think also just accepting that like getting fresh air and sunshine every day always helps. Some days you can have good days. Some days you can have bad days. And just to like roll with the punches, don't sweat the small stuff and like laugh a lot. That's sort of my motto. Mm, that's a beautiful motto. I love that. Um, while we're there, you do have a podcast. Could you just tell the listeners about your podcast? For sure. Yeah. It's called Pregnancy with Physio Laura. So I love doing it. It is, um, as we were talking about before, it's such a fun way to connect with other women. So I, I do solo episodes on physiotherapy based topics, but I also have interviewed lactation consultants and baby first aid and midwives and, um, 
nutritionists and anything to do with pregnancy. I'm just trying to make it like a one-stop shop for women to be able to get all the information. And in tiny bite-sized pieces, I just do 10 to 20-minute episodes so that women who are busy can just quickly listen to it. And, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing the, the podcast. Oh, great. And we'll make sure we've got the link to the podcast in the show notes, guys, so you can definitely check it out with Physio Laura. Um, what's one big thing you wish people understood when it came to pregnancy and well-being? So many things, but because you asked me to pick one, I think <laughs> just so women know that you can thrive during pregnancy and not just survive. Full stop. That's That's my one piece of advice. I think So many women think it needs to be hard and challenging, and it certainly is, but I still think that you can aim for more. You can aim to thrive during pregnancy. Okay. And for those women in particular that are embarking on the journey of becoming pregnant, what would be your advice for them? To listen to your body and tune in with the messages your body is trying to tell you and also to avoid Googling things. Mm. Okay. I think that's pretty good advice for most things when it comes to well-being, right? Yeah. Um, Dr. Google. And when it comes to consulting a physio, do you think do you think it's worth you know, no matter where you are in your pregnancy, um do you think it's worth having a physio on board? Um and if it's not necessarily for everyone all the time, at what point do you think it's the right time to engage with a physio? I think you don't have to, for sure, but there's always value that you'll get out of a physiotherapy consult. So you don't need to have a problem to go see a physio. So I've seen many a pregnant client come in who just wants education on how is my pelvic floor going and am I doing the right exercises? Do I need to modify my program? What can I do to prepare for birth better? What do I need to know about in postpartum recovery? So, And I love those consults because I love getting women in before there's a problem and hopefully preventing there from being problems. So you can definitely see a physio without symptoms, but if you do have symptoms of pelvic pain, incontinence, abdominal separation, whatever it might be, absolutely go and see a physio because they're things that can easily be helped with like very, very basic treatments. Um, So there's not a perfect time to go and see someone. Um, If you want education, you can get that at any stage of your pregnancy. Um, But if you've got symptoms, go sooner rather than later because like I said, there's often things that we can do to get on top of those things early. If you've had pelvic pain for one week versus pelvic pain for three months, arguably it's going to be a lot easier to get on top of it when it's a fresh new symptom rather than a chronic problem. Yeah, beautiful. And for the the takeaway message for partners and the support people, what would it be? Do the birth classes, read the books, listen to your partner, massage her feet, and don't try to solve every problem. So I think sometimes it's really important to just listen and not try to problem solve all the time because often women just need to talk and like offload what they're feeling and it doesn't need to be solved necessarily. And if in labor she says she can't do it anymore, just remind her that she can and she already is. Mm. Uh, Laura, we've got one last question for you. It's a question we ask all of our guests before we finish. What do you want more than anything else in this life? I think being a mother... It would be to raise kind and confident little humans. That's probably my main thing, but also just to have good health, 
good relationships and connections with people, lots of love, lots of laughing. That's really what I want. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been so great to talk to you. Um, I'm so glad that we've been able to get this information out there. Um, I think, of course, there's probably still a lot of questions. Um, So where can people find you? Yeah. Um, So I am on Instagram and Facebook at PhysioLaura. I have blogs that you can read all about pregnancy things at physiolaura.com and I have my pregnancy posse membership at thepregnancyposse.com or if you're a podcast sort of gal, Pregnancy with Physio Laura on all your main podcast players. Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Physio Laura. I've loved chatting to you. And I hope that you know, maybe one day we we can dive in a little deeper around something in re- something else in regards to pregnancy. For sure. Thanks so much, Mark. I hope this episode has helped to shed some light on such an important topic for us all, no matter what role you play in supporting a mum-to-be. Thank you so much for pressing play today. If you're loving this podcast, then please hit subscribe and tell all your friends and family about the Virgin Active Minds podcast. Until next time, bye for now.